Welcome to the Veterans Perspective, presented by the Michigan Veterans Affairs Agency, with your host, Director of the MVAA, Zanetta Adams. Welcome to the Veterans Perspective. We have just wrapped up the first week of February, but we also have just entered Black History Month. Now, this entire month, we'll be meeting with veterans, talking about different issues, but you know, talking about some of those great accomplishments of African-American veterans, as well as uh, some of those, uh, those really monumental changes that have come about because of African-American and African-Americans in the military and veterans. So our guests for today are Lolita Tucker of the Michigan Department of American Veterans, Poppy Hernandez of the Governor's Office, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Colonel Levita Bennett of the Michigan National Guard. It's a great show. It's a powerhouse of women, and it's one that you don't want to miss. Stick around, and we'll be right back on The Veterans Perspective. Welcome back to The Veterans Perspective. Today and all month long, we are celebrating Black History Month. You know, uh, Black History Month, I believe, is an important month to celebrate because, you know, it honors the contributions and sacrifices of African-Americans who have helped shape our great nation. And regardless of what you believe or feel, uh, you know, the history is what it is. And, and while we don't need to rehash history as a measure to say, you know, we haven't accomplished great things, we need to recognize that there are certain, certain things that we need to, need to uh, continue to look at and continue to honor those individuals who have made contributions that were actually out there in the public for people to be able to see. And so February uh, was chosen because it was it coincides with the birthdays of President Abraham Lincoln and um, Frederick Doug- Douglass, who was a former slave and was a leader in the fight to end slavery. Now, as you probably know, Lincoln and Douglass were each born in the second week of February. So it was traditionally a time when African-Americans would hold celebrations in honor of emancipation. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that growing up, you know, before I even decided that I was going to go to the military or even knew that anyone in my family served in the military, my mom always worked really hard to instill in me the values of making sure that I did above and beyond just so that I could be viewed as equal. And while not everybody has had to deal with that, that's something that many um, people in the minority community have had to, to endure. And so when you see um, African-Americans and Latino Americans and, you know, Americans in general that have been underserved, accomplishing great things, it is something to celebrate because it has not always been the case. And so, you know, we're always trying to leave a legacy. So one of the things growing up that my parents always did and my, my aunts, it was kind of like a raise a village type thing, is they, they, they gave us books and uh, Black history books about different inventions and all of these different things that they weren't sure it was being taught in school, but they wanted to make sure we knew that our heritage was not just slavery, that we did great things. We, you know, we had uh, people in our community who, you know, helped with the first heart transplant and peanut butter and the stop sign and air conditioning and all these things that we enjoy was because we had people in those places that were innovative, that were smart. And so we have to continue to Remember that we can, we can coexist, we can, we can be equal. And it's so great to be able to see that the military is a place where you see this uh, 
this this coming together of people from different races and nations and and genders to be able to serve on one premise. And so, you know, the theme this year is we're talking about black health and wellness. And that has been something where, you know, my 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 father passed away last year. And it's it's really known in the community. Uh, it, well, I won't say it's known in the community, but it's been an, an old tradition in the community that you want to make sure that you're really involved in care because sometimes we're we're forgotten. And he was a veteran. He was a Vietnam era veteran. But, you know, at one point while he was in one of the hospitals, he was kind of forgotten. It was during COVID. We couldn't visit. And it, it, it kind of makes you wonder, did, did he serve this country and became a forgotten veteran? And so we want to make sure that everyone knows about the healthcare and the healthcare opportunities out there. But I also want to make sure that, you know, our veterans know far and wide, no matter what race or color you are, that there are benefits out there that you all can take advantage of. And it doesn't matter in this day and age who you are, what gender you are, and what color your skin is. If you serve this country, we're here to serve you. And so, you know, we know that the pandemic, we've heard it all around that the pandemic has disproportionately affected minority communities and placed unique burdens on Black healthcare professionals. We also know that um, there's a lot of fear in the African-American community. And that's, that's rightly justified. I mean, you know, if you think about, you know, I am an organ donor, but I don't necessarily put it on my driver's license. So if someone was to put it on to see my driver's license, they would say, she doesn't care about other people. She's not an organ donor. But it's something that growing up, it was, it was told that, you know, if we put that on our driver's license, then we may not, we may not get the same level of care for our organs. And so these are things that maybe you don't know, that maybe you don't hear, but it doesn't mean that someone doesn't care about the community. So I'm encouraging people to one, go to your healthcare provider if you have not been in a long time, especially men, because we all know it doesn't matter what color you are. Men don't seek healthcare like women do. We know our bodies, we listen to our bodies, and you know, we will go in there if we feel like something's off, if we feel like we're off kilter in the slightest. But men, you die from heart attacks early. We don't want you to do that. So go get that health care. There are so many opportunities now that have arisen because of the pandemic that you can take advantage of. If you're a veteran or a family member, but especially a veteran and you are not connected to health care, give us a call so we can see if we can get you connected to either VA health care or find another way that we can get you health connected to health care so that you can get those checkups and things that you need. You can always call us at 1-800-MISHVET. That's 1-800-642-4838. And, and, and I just want to remind you that, you know, we're here to serve all veterans, but this month we're honoring African-American veterans and we're honoring the service and sacrifice of, of veterans um, in general. So we hope that you'll stick with us throughout this month because we'll be sharing some great information along with all of that. And we hope that you stick with us, especially for our next guest, Lolita Tucker. Uh, we're excited to have her. We're excited for her first. Uh, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that after the commercial break. But we're looking forward to hearing from her. We're looking forward to hearing how we can continue to impact um, individuals in this state. In this state. And we're looking forward to hearing more contributions as they continue to come. So stick around. We'll be right back on the Veterans Perspective.
Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective. We're talking about Black History Month and accomplishments therein of our veterans. And joining me today as our first guest is Lolita Tucker. They say she's the queen of sass without a hall pass, doing what's necessary to get things done. Lolita is a mother of three and a retired sergeant of the Detroit Police Department with more than 22 years of service. She also served nearly eight years of active duty Army service as a health and welfare NCO, heavy wheeled vehicle operator and petroleum specialist during Operation Iraqi Freedom. With the heavy lifting behind her, she is now the state commander of the Michigan's Department of Disabled American Veterans and still fights the good fight to meet the needs of every veteran in the state of Michigan. And I will say she is the first African-American woman to hold this position in the state. In, in her organization. Lolita is also a national service officer for the DAV's regional office in downtown Detroit. As the state commander, Lolita is the tip of the spear when it comes to the DAV's efforts to manage and sustain veteran resources here in the state of Michigan. Michigan. Welcome to the show, Lolita. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, you know, we're talking about Black History Month and accomplishments. And so, you know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, as this first that we brought you on. And so, first off, I wanted to start talking about that. What does it feel like being the first in this position? Oh, it's, it's, um, it's exciting. Uh, it's, it's extremely challenging. Um, it's, it's one of those, um, it's one of these positions that um, happens once in a lifetime, and I'm just honored that I was selected for this position. That's great. And, and you know, um, I know that you're going to do a fabulous job, you know, this year working very hard for the veterans. And we'll talk a little bit about your role and what you do in that role in a little bit. But first, I wanted to talk about you as a woman veteran and, you know, seeing that you served in um, active army and you did some of those skills. What was it like being, you know, a woman in the military? It, being a woman in the military, it, it, it comes with its pros and its cons. Um, being in a position that I had when, when I was deployed um, at, at many times, you know, it's, it's almost like I had to really play a masculine role to, you know, just, you know, to be able to uh, hold my own weight, um, to be able to um, get my tasks done. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you have to step into, a, um, and when I say in a masculine role, to, to let, you know, other soldiers know that you're not afraid, uh, that you are, you know, that you are a leader. So uh, it was challenging being a female um, soldier. And, you know, did you did you feel that there was a difference because you were an African-American woman serving or did, did you feel there was any distinction in your service or the way you were treated when you were in? It was a quite clear uh, distinction where there was uh, differences uh, made as um, far as my gender and also with, um, you know, with my color um, at, at times uh, when you're when I was presenting certain things to, you know, to, you know, to brigade or battalion, um, it was received a little different coming from a black female as if, if it would come from my white uh, female counterparts. Yeah, that that's tough. And I know that that's, you know, the experience of others as well. And so it's unfortunate that you dealt with that. But, you know, you know, here you are, you served. Uh, 22 years at, you know, the Detroit Police Department, I can't imagine that that was any easier. Not at all. It's the same challenges, just different companies. Yeah. And so do, do you think that the military prepared you to deal with that? Or do you think that this was just maybe above and beyond, um, you know, working with the Detroit Police Department and, and maybe some of the challenges that you dealt with as a woman and as an African-American woman were above and beyond what you dealt with in the military? 
I definitely say that the United States Army prepared me to do um, my job with the police department. It, it not only prepared me, but it gave me that discipline that I needed. Um, it also gave me that leadership skill set that I needed because I went from, you know, being a patrol officer and I moved on to, you know, various different roles. Um, and then on my exit out as a sergeant. So the military had played an integral role um, with my um, career with law enforcement. Well, you know, you've you've done that. You've served, you know, you didn't even serve as an MP in the military, but you came out and served as a police department and served your 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 city very, very well for 22 years. And then you decided, you know what, I'm gonna become a national service officer. What led you to do that? It was like I was at that that point in my life where it was uh, I needed a change. But I know I've always been in the line of customer service and, and I enjoy helping. And um, I had this opportunity that just knocked at my door and I, and I couldn't resist. And it's, once I got to reading about it, um, it's like, okay, well, I'll try it for a minute to see. And after trying it for about seven months, I fell in love with it. And it's like, I can't really imagine doing anything different. So what does that role entail? What do you do for veterans? So on the National uh, Service Officer side, um, I'm here, um, I process a lot of claims. I help veterans get their claims like far as compensation, pension, um, care. We work closely with um, the VA with the Caregivers Act, um, the aid and attendant. We work with the social workers. And then we're also, I'm also um, accredited to where I can represent veterans before the Board of Veterans, uh, veterans Appeal. So anytime VA say no, I work hard to get them a yes. Well, that's great. And so how long have you been doing that? I've been doing this for about four and a half years now. Four and a half years. And so is that when you joined the DAV about four and a half years ago? Yes, ma'am. So four and a half years, you, you became a veteran uh, uh, service officer, national service officer, you started helping veterans with claims. Did you, did you file your own claim or did you have a need to file your own claim? Actually, um, I had previously had a claim filed, but uh, since I chose to work for DAV, they had a, a huge role in, in assisting me with getting my, my service rating where it should have been. Well, congratulations on that. Thank and so you. you did all this four and a half years ago, and then four and a half years later, you're the state commander. So how did that happen? Oh, my God. So That so, sounds uh, historic in, its, in itself. It is. I had no aspirations or anything. So a few years ago, I got presented with the opportunity to represent our organization uh, for our women's legislative uh, committee. And when I got on there, it was just like me being a female veteran. It's just like it was just like that passion. It's like I felt like I had to have a voice for those who didn't have a voice or those that was afraid to have a voice. So um, I came in as a senior vice commander a few years ago, and then last year, our um, previous state commander, he took a role somewhere else. So um, they looked at my record, and I got the appointment uh, August of last year. Wow. Wow. So you know what? Showing up and showing out is how you get there. So, you know, <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, you know, as we're, you know, getting close to wrapping up, I wanted to ask you, as we're talking about Black History Month, what does Black History Month mean to you? 
Black History Month to me is, is, is more than just history. It's, it's, it's like the foundation for me as a Black woman. There were so many Black women who came um, before me that are gone and some that are still here with me that laid the landmark and the foundation for as far as um, how women are and how um, the things that we're entitled to and the things that they, they laid the foundation to, to, um, to give me the ambition and the courage to go after things that, that I, I choose to have and I want. Okay, and how do you, how do you, I know you have three children. How do you relay Black History Month to them? Um, I, for my children, it's all about appreciation of past history. Um, that they, I've instilled in them um, about voting, their rights, um, their rights to have a voice, um, things that they're entitled to, um, education, that education is is uh, paramount in my house. You have to have education. It's, it's one of those things that you can't, you can't be here without it. Well, that's great. And so, you know, you've talked about a lot of things that you're doing, and I want to make sure that people know if they want to join the DAV and maybe work with you or they want to get their benefits um, assistance, where can they reach you at? They can reach me at the Detroit Regional Office, um, 477 Michigan Avenue, Suite 1234, Detroit, Michigan. Our number here is 313-964-6595. Great, 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 great. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Lolita. You've been a great guest. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back on again. And we'll make sure that we share your information. So reach us at 1-800-BISHVET, 1-800-642-4838. If you weren't able to catch that information, we'll make sure that we connect you with the Department, I'm sorry, the Disabled Veterans of America. So stick around. We'll be right back on the Veterans Perspective. back to the Veterans Perspective. Our next guest is Parky Hernandez, Chief Executive and Inclusion Officer and the Executive Director of the Office of Global Michigan. Poppy received her bachelor's degree from the University of California, Berkeley, and her master's degree from Western Michigan University. I bet you she wished she was in California today. Uh, for more than 20 years, her work of strategic change management has been at the intersection of public health, education, workforce development, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. In 2019, she was appointed by Governor Whitmer as the Regional Director of Community Affairs, serving the west side of the state, west side, and in 2020 was appointed as the first ever Chief Executive, Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer in the Executive Office of the Governor. In addition to her role as the Chief EIO, she was recently appointed as the Executive Director of the Office of Global Michigan, where she leads initiatives aimed at integrating global talent recruitment and retention efforts and broader systems of inclusion for diverse communities across Michigan. Welcome to the show, Poppy. Thank you so much, Director Adams. It's great to be here. You know, it's great to have you on here as well. I don't think we've had an opportunity to really talk about your role and, you know, to be able to, to have to do it all the way on the radio. I mean, Poppy and I go go back a little bit ways. We're both in the on the same side of the state in the same area and, uh, you know, 
have a really great relationship going back to even before our roles here. So I really appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, it's lovely to have someone from the west side of the state. It's important to say that out loud because, you know, west side means different things to different people in the state of Michigan. But west side of the state in this leadership role um, at our veterans department, I just I feel like we are really lucky to have you leading. Oh, I appreciate that. And, you know, this month, this entire month, we really are focusing on Black History Month and and but are also talking about some of those resources, opportunities and 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 really how we're doing better within the state. And, you know, we're talking to veterans and their families, but, you know, we're talking to 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 the population as a whole about, you know, we know that there have been some challenges in the past, you know, um, and we still have challenges right now with, you know, equity and inclusion and even diversity. And so first off, I would love to hear more about what you do in that role as Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer for the state of Michigan. I'm happy to talk about that. I, I find the work to be absolutely thrilling. And um, and when I say thrilling, I mean, it's just, you're just really walking a, a new path. And so you're, you just have to really be open to new experiences and um, to problem solving and being really resilient. And so uh, my role as the Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer for the state of Michigan is really to work alongside all of the equity and inclusion officers across the state departments. So uh, Governor Whitmer, uh, it, through an executive directive, mandated that each state department have an equity and inclusion officer that could lead that work at the departmental level. We have pulled together that group of equity and inclusion officers and we have set up a statewide equity and inclusion plan that reaches across its enterprise wide, but then we also support the equity and inclusion officers at their departmental level work. Um, and so it's a, it's a really exciting prospect because you have this quality assurance happening at the statewide level, but then you also have the opportunity for departments to do the work at, at their level of readiness um, and plug into that broader statewide work. So you talked about, um, February being Black History Month. Um, it's, it's just super important to understand that when we talk about celebrating Black History Month, it's not happening in a vacuum, right? It's part of this broader initiative that says our history is diverse. Our history is inclusive. Black Michiganders have made Michigan the state that it is today. And it's important that we spend some time recognizing that, celebrating that, and we, we really have to do that at a statewide level. And, and so we, as the statewide uh, group of equity and inclusion officers, created this inclusion calendar that really sets out the whole year for messaging that is more inclusive and recognition that is more inclusive. And we did that because if you're not intentional about it, it just doesn't get done because it's just easier to keep doing what we've done in the past, right? So um, that's that sort of captures the work that we're doing for the internal focus for the state of Michigan. When we really think about our internal workforce development, we had a really awesome accomplishment thanks to your leadership and support around changing civil service rules uh, that, that changed how we uh, hire and retain veterans. So that's just one example of sort of like how we think about our workforce and the diverse representation of our workforce and how we can be more inclusive. Um, we are looking externally to see how we can serve Michiganders that are not employees of the state of Michigan, right? So we know we're serving them by making our state government 
more equitable, more diverse, and more inclusive. But how can we change the actual services that we provide to be more equitable and inclusive? That's sort of the next layer of this work. Well, and you know, you hit on a good point. It was one I was thinking about was that, you know, the work that, that you're doing and your um, EIO officers are doing across the state, you know, it's it's for the departments and for the those individuals, but it does have a huge impact on the population that we serve. I mean, we just had, um, we just did a blind application, um, you know, where basically we don't get to see who it is. We just see the resumes. We don't know if it's a male, female, black, white. We don't know any of that. And I will tell you that it was the most diverse interview panel that I've ever seen, you know? Yeah. And so those changes are working. And I will say, you know, kudos to your office for bringing those ideas to the forefront. And so then what does that do? It affects the people who are coming to our agency. It's bringing new ideas. It's, 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 and then those new ideas are helping the constituents. So it definitely is trickling down, but, but, you know, there are some out there who say, you know what, we don't need, we don't need this. We don't need diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're all adults. We can figure it out. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, you know, people are entitled to their opinions and I, I will not get into a debate about people's opinions, but I work for the state of Michigan. And because of that, I am, I am a civil servant. It is my job to justly serve the citizens of the state of Michigan, right? Our constituents. And when we talk about what just service looks like, what fair service looks like, it is impossible to not integrate equity and inclusion. You, you just, you can't provide just service without diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, your civil servant, um, workforce really should be representative of its of the state's population, and and we should know how to serve the state's population really well. And if we're not integrating the core concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're not going to be able to serve well. So that that's what I would say if someone asked me why do we need this? That's why we need it because. We, um, we, are, we are born from a system that is inequitable. It's just inherently inequitable. There's, I don't know that anyone on the planet would disagree with that, right? Like the United States, the, our commerce, our, our system, our economic system was largely built on the enslavement of black people. There's no, there's no like disputing that, it's a fact. Because of that, we have these inherent inequities in our system. And we have to be really explicit and intentional about correcting those. And if we're not, they're gonna, we're gonna continue with those inequities. And the example that you gave of the blind interview um, practice is a terrific example because it's an example of how we have to think intentionally and strategic about driving change, right? So, but if you're looking at it from the outside in, you might be like, oh, some of that stuff, that stuff is all ancient history. It's not ancient history, it's today. <laughs> Right. I mean, can you compare this interview panel just to just to get right to the brass tacks of it? When you look at the candidates that you have in the panel that you are looking at right now, is it really different than the panels that you've looked at previously where you didn't use that practice? Yeah, I would say it, it looked def definitely different. And so, you know, that's why it is important. And the work that you're doing is is so great. You know, we, we look forward to continuing that and continuing to bring equity and, and inclusion and diversity across the state. Javi, I can't believe our time is up. So, but thank you so much for joining me today. And we look forward to having you on again so we can finish this conversation. 
For sure. Thank you so much for having me, Director Adams, and thank you for your service. Thank you. And we'll be right back on the Veterans Perspective. Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective, presented by the Michigan Veterans Affairs Agency. Now, your host, director of the MVAA, Zanetta Adams. Welcome back to the Veterans Perspective. We are joined by our final guest, Colonel Levita Bennett. Colonel Bennett ser currently serves as the Chief of Joint Staff for the Michigan National Guard, assisting the Director of Joint Staff in the management of the National Guard military functions and joint military program operations throughout the state. She manages and directs the administration, coordination, planning, development, and execution of all joint staff programs that prepare Michigan for contingency operations in either a federal or state emergency to include fabricated or natural disasters and military mobilization. She also serves as the principal executive assistant and advisor to the assistant adjutant general she resides in Lansing, Michigan with her husband of 27 years, Martin, who is a retired Army veteran. They have two children, Martin Jr., Martin Jr., who attends Central Michigan University, and Maya, who attends Georgetown University. Welcome to the show, Colonel Bennett. Thank you, Director Adams. So, you know, we're, we're talking about Black History Month, and we want to celebrate and honor those who are, you know, making history and really just doing things in the community that, to me, are amazing. And so, you know, you are a colonel in the Michigan National Guard. Now, I know that that is not an easy feat. So I'd love to talk about, like, what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on, on being a colonel? And I, I know that, that, first of all, you know, you're, you're a woman and in this position. You're a woman of color in this position. And so that, to me, that's huge. What, you know, what are, your, what are your thoughts about how you got there? And I would tell you growing up, I never saw myself in this position. Um, my dad was a Vietnam vet. Him and my mom always instilled in all of us kids to, um, to work hard and dream big. Um, my journey though, to join the military, I had a best friend who was interested in joining the service. And it was one summer at the high school. My mom was like, you know, you need to get a job, find something to do. So I was like, yeah, I do it. I joined with her, which is what happened. I ended up joining. I thought I would do my first six years and be done. However, I stayed, ended up, and I'm originally from Mississippi too, I will say that. But I came up to Michigan State to do some research one summer and that's how I joined the Michigan Guard because I could not drive in the snow. So I needed to find a unit close to where I lived, spoke with a guard recruiter, and here I am 30 years later, still serving in the Michigan Guard. So you got stuck here in Michigan, literally and figuratively, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we're glad that you're here and that you, you ended up uh, staying here with us in Michigan. And so you know, uh, you know, not a lot of girls, I would say, dream about going to the military. And I, I know it was kind of a late decision for me. I, I, well, I won't say it was late. I, I thought about it in college and I joined from college um, the military. But um, 
you know, what inspires you to continue to serve today? The first thing that inspired me, I like the challenge. Um, I like to stay busy. I like to be involved with a lot of a lot of things that are going on. And that was one of the things. And then I would look around and I would see leaders. And that was something that I knew I could do. I knew I could lead. I like talking with people. I like communicating with them. And and, and it inspired me to want to, um, to gain my commission to become an officer. And I stayed, it does get hard though. I will say, like you mentioned, as a, as a female, I don't have a, a lot of peers um, at my rank other than males. So for me, it is something that I wanna do to be able to inspire other young ladies and even young men that this is something something that you can do and you can succeed at it if you work hard. Well, you know, um, you know, ever since I've known you, you've always had this positive attitude, this can-do spirit. And I, I definitely appreciate that. It doesn't matter what's going on. And so, you know, I, I know that the experience is not always easy. You know, when you wear the uniform, what I noticed when I was wearing the uniform is I was treated with a different level of respect versus when I was out of uniform and people knew nothing about me. And sometimes the, uh, you can be treated differently in the community. Have you ever experienced that? And how did you deal with that? Knowing you have this can-do attitude as well. I know sometimes it's hard to have the can-do attitude when you're dealing with some, some mess, but I mean, <laughs> how have you handled that? <laughs> yes, I have. I have, I have dealt with a lot. And I would tell you, and I think it's because of everything that I have seen over the years, I am able to, to deal with it. And I, would, and I would go as far as saying one day I was pumping gas and I had my uniform on and this gentleman saw me and he was like, oh my gosh, you are a colonel and you a woman? We didn't have those in my days. And I'm like, times have changed, sir. Times have changed. But I, I try not to let it let it bother me. I, if I have the chance, I attempt to talk to the people to try to educate them. Now we do have females. Um, they are in leadership positions. They're doing great. And sometimes people are shocked to, to hear that there are so many females. And even when we open up like um, the infantry, to women and to let people know that that had occurred. It was hard for some of them to adjust, um, but I tried to um, stay positive about that and definitely try to try to educate people when it comes to that. Well, you know, Colonel Bennett, I know you have your hands on a lot of things, um, you know, and so part of that is really the, the pulse of the National Guard. And so as we're talking about Black History Month and we've been talking on this show about diversity, equity, and inclusion. What does that mean to you throughout the ranks? And, and how, is that, how is that important to you? That is important to me because I wanna make sure that everybody has that opportunity. If it's, if it's out there and if it is within reach for um, one race or gender, I wanna make sure that it is available for, for everybody. That's, that's my biggest thing. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that approach. So, you know, do you and your family or, you know, as your kids were growing up, did you all ever do anything fun or interesting to celebrate Black History Month? Yes, we did. We used to, um, there was this, um, when I moved to Michigan, we would go to Detroit to the African-American Museum. I, I can't think of the name of the place in Detroit now, or I would take them over to um, Henry Ford to see, you know, like the Rosa Parks bus that's at the Ford Center. Even lately, we went to DC to visit the, the African-American Museum. But growing up, we didn't do, there weren't a whole lot of places in Mississippi to go. So we would just sit around and talk about different stuff. Yeah, I know Mississippi is, a, I mean, it's a totally different environment in Mississippi than, uh, than it is in Michigan. I will just say I walked into, a, I, I was in Mississippi for probably like a hot five minutes because we drove over from another state and had to go to the Walmart. And I walked to the Walmart and I saw some of the flags they had hanging there. I just walked out. <laughs> like I'm in the wrong place. But uh, but it definitely is. And that was that was not today. It was probably like 15 years ago, but just definitely an interesting environment. And and so I, I, I definitely appreciate um, I appreciate for my family as well as I appreciate what you've done with your family of educating on the history, because I think sometimes we forget the history. We, we, we revert back to it. Um, so, you know, I, I would ask you um, for all the little girls uh, little, little girls, period, brown girls, it doesn't matter, that are out there thinking, maybe I want to be a cool, tough, military person. What would you say to them? I would say you can do it. Work hard. Don't let anybody tell you no, because people will tell you no, but keep your mind to it and you can overcome any obstacle, any roadblock that is out there. Well, Colonel Bennett, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and your story with us today. I want to also thank the rest of our guests, uh, Lolita Tucker and Poppy Hernandez. Just know that we have a lot of information today, so you can check us out um, by uh, going to our website, uh, or you can download this podcast after it's aired. Uh, give us a call at 1-800-MICHFED if you have any issues or you need to find out more information about what was discussed today. We'll see you next week on The Veterans Perspective.